the entire pantheon of pagan gods prove they are false. Are you just watching episode 130, Thor, Love and Thunder? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And today we're talking about another Marvel movie. I think we're going to have to just swear off Marvel movies after this. Yeah, last Marvel movie for a while, I think. <laughs> yeah, they're just not hitting home runs on these movies at all. <laughs> it makes it a little hard to talk about them. But this movie is, I think I went in hoping for Ragnarok and didn't even come close. I mean, the humor was there, but it lacked a lot to make the humor worthwhile. So I will say, and I think Tim and I differ on this, it's marginally better than Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, but mm. I really had a really bad taste in my mouth from Do the Doctor Strange movie, and I think Tim has them swapped. Yeah, although it's a very minor difference. Yeah. In my case, I dislike Multiverse of Madness slightly less <laughs> than I dislike uh, <laughs> Love and Thunder. Yeah. But I think mostly I'm just frustrated with how progressive socially and politically the Marvel movies are getting. It's off-putting. Yeah, it really is. And it's for me, it's just a reminder of how far society is pulling away from Christian values. And, you know, I, I feel like I am less and less at home. <laughs> you know, with Captain America, the first Avenger, I was whole hog in the movie because, you know, it was a World War II movie. It was about army guys and history and faith and, you know, values and the American way. And this is just such a far, far, far way from those days. Yeah. Though I would say that from a standpoint of it being a Thor movie, the whole pagan god thing and all of that has been laced through all of the Thor movies. So I don't think that yeah. if you shrink it down to just the Thor movies, mm -hmm. I don't think this one departs far. It's, it's got a little bit more of the irreverence from the Guardians of the Galaxy mixed in, but it doesn't really depart far from what we have been accustomed to in the Thor movies maybe has a little less heart and that I think that's why the humor fell so flat for me was because in Ragnarok it was a comedic movie that had a ton of heart mm -hmm. and in this movie it's got the comedic but no heart it's like it lost like maybe they were trying too hard I don't know but it's, like you said it I don't know that I agree with that though because the the first Thor movie it was funny, but it was funny because it was situational, right? Right. It was more like a sitcom <laughs> than anything else. Mm -hmm. it, here's this alien who falls to Earth and has to... It was like ALF, but with Chris Helmsworth. <laughs> <laughs> Just picturing Chris Helmsworth with ALF's nose. <laughs> Dark World fell flat on multiple levels. Yeah, that was my least favorite of the Thor movies. It didn't have the humor. Yeah. It, it took itself too seriously. Yeah. And then Ragnarok was hilarious. It, it looked like it was going to be super dark, but it mm -hmm. ended up not being super dark. And it had that wonderful just balance of comedic 
I mean, it, it was everything was perfect, I think, in Ragnarok. And it was the it same was, director. Uh, yeah. But this movie, I think maybe they were trying to squeeze too much into the story. They were trying to cover way too much in a short period of time. And the way they framed it with the exposition about the Thor mighty hero thing mm -hmm. fell super flat. And then the topic, which is, I think, what we're going to spend the most of this podcast on, because while neither of us were super thrilled with the movie, it was great conversation fodder from a Christian yeah. worldview. So that's one of the things that is going to make, I think, redeem this episode. Maybe not the movie, but it will redeem this episode. Yeah. The best thing about this movie was the villain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So before we dive too much into that, I do want to talk a little bit about the music, which I think, like the movie, is a little lackluster. I typically like Michael Giacchino, but I think what fell flat in this movie was that they mixed in so much pop and rock music into the movie that you didn't even notice the score. And then when I did finally pull it up in YouTube and listen to it, I was shocked to find out that he basically stole the themes from his Spider-Man themes. So mm. it sounded like a twisted version of Spider-Man. And I'm like, well, I like the Spider-Man theme, but it's too much like Spider-Man. So it doesn't stand on its own too well. So, I mean, I'll play a little bit of it here just so that you can hear it. What I really remember from this movie, music-wise, was the whole interlude with Inya. <laughs> I was literally humming Inya for days after watching the movie. That was uh, the only time song from Inya, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those... I was a big Inya fan back in the... What was that? The 90s? Early mm -hmm. 2000s? I had like three of her albums. I listened to Enya all the time. So <laughs> I have a lot of her music stuck in my head anyway. So it only takes me hearing like a snippet. And I'm like, oh, I've now got that stuck in my head forever. <laughs> but anyway, that was what I walked away remembering. <laughs> I had a phase in high school where I was a Guns N' Roses fan. It didn't uh -huh. last long, but, you know, two, maybe three albums. So... <laughs> The Guns N' Roses songs, you know, they fired off the nostalgia engines for me, but but that was pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, it it kind of had that little bit of a Guardians of the Galaxy flavor to the movie because it's like they tried to mix it with Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think that's where they tried to get like the pop music and the comedic aspect that Guardians of the Galaxy was famous for. Yeah. And they kind of was mixing that in with the Thor thing that they've done in past Thor movies. I don't know whether that's what broke it for me. I have to tell you the whole, and I've already mentioned it, but the whole, you know, this is the story of Thor and how they recapped, you know, previous stories using, you know, these play actors, you know, mm -hmm. playing all of that, I think they could have just stripped out of the movie. It's like we didn't need all of that backstory. It, 
if you were coming into it without having seen any of those movies, I'm not entirely sure you really needed any of that exposition to get into this story. Now, are, are you talking about Korg's narration at the beginning, or are you talking about the cameo of Sam Neill, Matt Damon, etc.? Or both? I, all of it. All okay. of it. Yeah, I just, I think all of it was unnecessary. And I think they could have just gotten into the story without having to spend so much of that time explaining what happened before. Yeah. So, I, and I think that that was one of the things that may, annoyed me about the movie. Mm -hmm. I get that they kind of had to set up, you know, Jane coming back in and all that stuff, but they were making the assumption that nobody had ever watched another Thor movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I guess that sort of makes sense if you're doing a, a sequel to a, a movie that didn't make $26 billion internationally. But, mm -hmm. I mean, this is Marvel. Yeah. Thor exists in the Marvel Universe and comic book and regular books and movies for a decade and a half for movies and... You yeah, know, in comic books since the seventies, fifty years. Yeah. So I mean, I I understood why they did it, but it didn't make it any better. <laughs> I think like it was wasted time. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was wasted time that could have improved some of the plot holes if they had, instead of spending so much time in the movie recapping what had come before, they could have actually plugged some of the massive plot holes in the actual yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so. in the middle of the movie where they break out and they return to Korg as the narrator telling the story, the legend of Thor and Jane. Mm -hmm. That one was really, jar it jarred me out of the movie. It was so yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. It could have been handled with like one or two throwaway lines of exposition. <laughs> Instead of a 10-minute segue. Your viewing notes were hilarious because you were talking about, oh, he's dead. No, he's not dead. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, I wasn't fond of him in Ragnarok, but it was okay. And then Taika Wakiki played this character, the villain character, in Free Guy. And I really didn't like his portrayal, the over-the-top portrayal in there, even though it was a good movie. I enjoyed the movie. Mm -hmm. But now I just feel like, I don't know, Korg in this movie really set me off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was sort of hoping we were done with him when he got struck by Thunderbolt, but no such luck. Yeah. That's, that just goes to show all he is is a mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's part of it for me is it seems like all the characters in the movie, I can't think of really a single character with any significant screen time in the movie that portrayed values that I consider to be standard American values. You know, God family, country type stuff. What is the standard in America anymore? Yeah. <laughs> That's just it, you know. It, like I said, they're moving further and further from what I consider good. Yeah. And, I uh, get you. And scripture. Well, I think about the only thing, and you've already mentioned it, but I think that the best part of this movie was the villain. And I really appreciated the initial scene 
before they even ran the titles, they did a scene that established the villain. And I think yeah. it was probably the best scene in the movie, showing more heart than anything else in the movie did. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think probably what we'll do as we, you know, divide off and, and talk about the themes is, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the setup for the villain and how he comes across throughout the movie, because I really think that that is the most valuable from a Christian worldview thing to discuss in this mm-hmm. movie. But before we do that, <laughs> mm. let me ask you to share your feedback. Now, are we having a summer slump in our numbers right now? Not a lot of people listening. So I hope those of you who are listening to this podcast are getting all the way through it and enjoying you know, our discussion. And we'd love to know you are out there. So if you could possibly comment on the show notes for this episode, which are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 130. You could also call us at 513-818-2959, or you could send a text, leave a voicemail. Or you could email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com or contact us on one of our social media sites. We'd just love to hear from you and know that you're out there. And it just helps us establish that what we're doing is valuable to our listeners. And, you know, otherwise we're kind of operating in a void and we don't know what you guys like to hear, what you guys want to hear. We'd love suggestions of movies that we don't always have to do something that's currently in the theater. We can talk about older stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And we just like your input on that. So make sure that you are connecting with us. All right. So talking about... Gore. Gore. G-O-R-R, not G-O-R-E. Yeah. Which, which was actually quite significant in Multiverse of Madness, but that's another story altogether. <laughs> yes. So the opening scene of Thor, Love, and Thunder is a scene of this alien being of some sort and a little girl and they're in a wasteland desert, uh, no water, and they're traveling about mm-hmm. and he's shielding her and taking care of her the best he can. And she ends up dying. And there's a scene right there at the beginning where he's praying and he's praying to his God, asking not for himself, but for his daughter just really pleading that that there be some some kind of intervention for her to save her life and she dies and then after she dies he buries her and then he hears this whisper that draws him across the wasteland into this beautiful oasis where there's water and he meets his god who is completely i guess had just killed the god slayer I guess, and was feasting and and celebrating. And Gore is a little bit turned off by this and questions, you know, what about our reward? And there's this uh, conversation that takes place where, you know, the the God is really mocking him, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, you think there's a reward. You think I'm supposed to answer your prayers and and um, a complete lack of empathy. Yeah, complete lack of empathy, complete uncaring for his followers. And there, there was several comments in that would kind of went back and forth in that dialogue that we're worth discussing. But the first one I want to talk about is this comment that I don't even know. Did they say which God it was that he was? 
Not that I remember, no. Yeah, um, which god he was speaking to. But anyway, his god says, oh, he's kind of with his fellow people participating in his victory meal. He says, oh, he thinks there's an eternal reward. And then he says, there is no reward. Mm-hmm. Suffering is for for gods is your purpose. And I got to thinking about that, that, you know, as Christians, we often talk about, even in this podcast, how what we are doing in this mortal realm is living for our eternity, that we are suffering and dealing with the fallen nature of our world because we look towards a better future. You know, Jesus said that he is going to prepare a place for us. And when he comes again, you know, he's going to take us to this better world. And so that is our future hope. That is what we are looking Mm -hmm. forward to. And But from a pagan standpoint, you have all of these people who have followed pagan gods through time, you know, history. And they look forward to rewards that because they are following false gods, they will never see. And it's interesting when you look into a lot of these various other religions, you know, they're working for those rewards. They have to earn them. And then to find out, you know, after they've worked their entire lives that that reward is not there, how devastating that will be yeah. in the afterlife is doesn't even bear thinking about, to be mm-hmm. honest. But that's why we share the gospel, because we don't want people to, you know, live their whole lives for empty promises and to get nowhere. But in this movie, you do see a type of reward, in, at least in the Viking cultures, there's mm-hmm. Valhalla. And at the end of the movie, spoiler, Jane gets to Valhalla. And so we get a glimpse of that at the end of the movie. But they have to earn their way. They have to die in gruesome pain and suffering Mm -hmm. in order to get to Valhalla. So you have to die in battle. And, you know, this is my understanding, limited though it may be, is that this is consistent with actual Viking faith, as it were, in history. But yeah. they don't seem to stay to it in the MCU because, I mean, Odin goes to Valhalla. Yeah, he doesn't he, die in battle. <laughs> no, he, he definitely didn't die in battle. They never say whether or not Loki did, but... Yeah, but Loki wasn't a Viking. Only certain Vikings can go to Valhalla, so... Uh, rules, rules, rules. Each god has, I guess, their own heaven, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird, but... Part of this kind of brought to mind Matthew 6, which a long time ago I had memorized the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew Mm -hmm. because it's it's got some really valuable Christian living stuff in it and just something to bring to mind. So, you know, some things come to mind very rapidly when you have it committed to memory. And Mm -hmm. Matthew 6, which is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, drives home this point over and over again. It's like, don't pray on the street to be seen by men because that's what the hypocrites do. And and they pray to, to be seen, and that is their reward. You know, being seen is their reward. Yeah. Don't give to charity publicly because that's your reward is to be seen giving publicly to charity. And and all of these, you know, he he's hammers at home over and over again. Don't do it this way because that's your reward. Don't do it this way because that's your reward. Because when you do it secretly, God sees in secret and he will reward you openly. So that's speaking of, in a way, I think that whole passage is not even speaking about eternal rewards. It's speaking about 
rewards while you are living, you know, the Christian life is that God doesn't reward the things that you do publicly because you're the acclaim you get from other men is your reward, but he rewards you publicly for those things that you do secretly. And those rewards might, you know, be that he trusts you more with your wealth or, or whatever in this life. So those, those rewards are not necessarily speaking about eternal rewards, but there are instances in scripture where it does talk about eternal rewards. I really appreciate Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith. And I pulled just a few verses out because this is speaking about people through the entire old Testament who lived and walked in faith. And from the way we understand it from a Christian worldview is none of those people went immediately to their eternal rewards when they died. They actually went into a holding pattern until Jesus because they were looking forward to the salvation brought by Jesus. And I think that the scripture kind of holds that forward because it says in 11 Hebrews eleven six it says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then further down in the chapter 39 and 40 says, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. So that is that, mm-hmm. that idea that they died, but they didn't immediately get the promised reward because they were waiting for what was promised through Jesus. Yeah. And so it's, it's that kind of waiting pattern. And I kind of feel like, you know, if, if you put yourself in the, the place of like Abraham who died looking forward to Christ, then he had to go to Abraham's bosom and wait until Jesus yeah. was born. You know, in the MCU, I, I guess I'm a little confused about what direction they're going because way back in Avengers, still, I guess, to some extent, when they say gods – they're talking about cosmic beings, right? Beings of yeah. unusually high power, and there are different levels in the MCU of gods, so to speak. As a matter of fact, in the the hall where at the end of the movie where Gore opens the seal to get to eternity, there are statues of the most powerful beings in the cosmos lining that hall. Mm-hmm. I've always written the gods off in the MCU as just being different levels of aliens with different levels of powers. Which could make sense from us. And I think that they kind of implied that in the original Thor movie, too. Yeah. That he was uh, yeah, just I like a, they did too. a powerful alien. Yeah. Except my problem is you throw eternal reward in there and Valhalla and all that. And then you're getting into the question of multiverses. So are these beings, these the ones that are gods, are they the ones who are assigned to protect that particular reality in the multiverse? So Maybe. you know, are are the Asgards the one responsible for determining who does and does not get into Valhalla? And you know, and it's interesting because the the gods themselves are mortal in the at least in the way that they're presenting them because they can be yeah. killed by the gods, the god slayer, and they live and die. I mean, Odin died a natural death, right. so they have a lifespan. They're not omnipotent. They're not omniscient. They're not. They're not. None of the attributes of what we would consider God from us from a Christian standpoint. They exactly. They, they're basically powerful mortals that have longer lifespans. 
I, I was thinking while you were talking about them uh, to mix my uh, universes, but they kind of remind me a little bit of Q from from the Star Trek. Star universe. Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good analogy. Um, you know, there was they a have throw. God complexes, but they're not really gods. <laughs> I don't want to give any spoilers for uh, Picard, but Q's die too. Yeah. So there was a throwaway line in the omnipotent city scene where Zeus says to Thor, I thought we saw the last of you when Odin died. And that made mm-hmm. me wonder why that would be the case. You know, why would the Asgardians... Yeah, po- Thor wasn't powerful enough to assume Odin's position over Asgard. And then they lost Asgard. Mm-hmm. So, because that was... That that may have been it, too, because, as I mean, Asgard, in that movie where Odin died, Asgard ceased to exist. Yeah. So, without the followers, I think that was kind of the point at the beginning, too, where Gore told his god, you know, you, you've already lost your empire because you no longer have anybody to worship you. It's like, if you don't have the worshipers, then you are no longer a god. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that has has held through with pagan belief systems for a long time is that the gods only hold their power as long as they have worshipers to worship them. And that's a recurring trope in, in a lot of fiction too. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of stories that talk about Roman and Greek gods, they're fighting to regain their followers in American gods by Neil Gaiman. That's one of the, the things too. And I want to say Orson Scott Card's books did the same thing too, didn't the Pathfinder series or something like that. Was that Orson Scott? Yeah, yeah that to... was Orson Scott card. And and I think to a certain degree, that is a kind of deals more with the whole Mormon, or excuse me, the Latter-day Saints. They don't like to be called Mormons anymore. Oh, I didn't know that. They believe that you become a god. So yeah, I did hear you that. You join the pantheon of... That's why it's such a cult, because they claim to be Christians, but they've built this entire cult-like idea of... Jesus became a god, and you can become a god, too. I mean, it's like yeah. really twisted view of they, Christianity. They start with the Bible and then just sort of put Legos on top of it until it's yeah. unrecognizable. <laughs> yeah. And some of Orson Scott Card, I, I prefer his science fiction to his fantasy because he does tend to build a little bit more of the, the really weird, fantastical, almost uh, fantasy-based fiction of the Mormon faith into his fantasy, hmm. where he tends to to be a little bit more Christian in his science fiction, weirdly enough. Yeah. So dealing with them as gods is, and, and we're kind of like merging our themes a little bit, but getting back to eternal reward. Yeah. I did want to talk a little bit more about, as Christians, what we expect from our reward, because we don't earn our eternal reward as Christians. Exactly. I think that's that's what makes Christianity stand out from all of the other false religions is that we're completely incapable of earning God's favor. We are there's such nothing fallen, we can do. There's absolutely nothing we can do. We can be faithful, we can trust, but we can't work our way to heaven. There's no eternal reward yeah. that we can earn because God earned it for us by sending Jesus to the cross. He paid our debt. It wasn't that we earn something to get to heaven. It's that our debt is paid so that we can be eligible for heaven because there's no other way. So in Colossians 3, 23 through 25, it says, whatever you do, 
Do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. And then it also adds, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. I have I have 23 and 24 hanging on my office wall yeah. at work. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a good reminder that we're not working to earn heaven. We're working because we have already inherited heaven through Christ. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a different aspect of, you know, trying so hard to to you know, work your way up to some eternal reward. And you're always going to fall short because we're sinful people. We always fall yeah. short. But we're working out in faith out of gratitude for the inheritance that God has blessed us with. And that's a completely different motivation. So thankfully, uh, we don't mm-hmm. have to work our way. We don't have to earn that reward. It's gifted to us. So we've already discussed the next topic to some degree, but before we... <laughs> delve into it completely. I do want to remind you to that you can support our podcast. You could go to areyoujustwatching.com slash PayPal or areyoujustwatching.com slash Patreon, uh, which both will take you to external links that where you can support our podcast. We do want to thank our faithful patrons, Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman, who give to us more than $5 a month, which is why they get mentioned in every podcast. They have been giving monthly. All of all of those have been giving to us monthly for some time and we really appreciate their support. We can't do what you're do what we're doing without your financial support, so we really appreciate it. Thank you. So pagan gods aren't God. I think that as I said at the beginning, the teaser for this episode, that this movie basically is a bunch of pagan gods proving that they aren't gods. And yeah. <laughs> that is Having this entire hall full of gods and they, they give you like picture, show like different snapshots of pagan gods from different cultures, all hiding away in this omniscient city or whatever it is. Yeah. Staying away from their followers, partying and, and talking about orgies. They're basically proving themselves to be the false gods they are. They couldn't care less about the people who worship them. They have no desire to answer prayers. They're completely removed yeah, from they, where their they people exist are. for their own pleasure, right? And you know this this idea that gods are not hearing the pra- the prayers of their followers, they're not answering the prayers of their followers, and they're basically proving themselves not to be God. Because as I mentioned earlier, they aren't omniscient, they aren't omnipotent, they don't live forever. So what makes them gods? And mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, right after I saw this movie, which was a week ago today, I had church the next day. I saw it on a Saturday evening, and I went to church the next morning, and I go to a Southern Baptist church, and so we have life group, and there's like these empty promises, you know, that, you know, they're not listening or whatever. And it made me think of, you know, this curriculum where we were talking about uh, 1 Kings 18, 25 through 39, and it's the story of Elijah and the false prophets of Baal. And it's such an entertaining story, especially coming out of watching (laughs) (laughs) Love and Thunder, because it's basically Elijah, you know, he, he, God tells him, he says, you're going to go out and you're going to challenge these prophets of Baal to a, a sacrificing, you know, where Mm -hmm. the gods have to light their own sacrifice. And so he lets the, the prophets of Baal go first. He says, you know, build your, 
do whatever you want. You know, scream. You know, you're going to set this altar mm-hmm. out and you're going to have Baal light it on fire. And I'm going to sit back and watch the power of Baal. And then he mocks them from the side, which I think is the the actual verse. I, I highly encourage you to go read the entire passage because it's quite entertaining. If you haven't read First Kings 18, 25 through 39, yeah. it's a really terrific passage. But the most entertaining mockery comes from First Kings eighteen twenty seven, where it says, At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, Shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. And the wandered away part is, I think, a euph- uh, euphemism it, yeah. in the Hebrew for relieving himself. <laughs> in, in the bathroom. In the bathroom, yes. I just, I just picture, I picture him on, in a porta potty, you know, with a, a newspaper in his hand. <laughs> yeah. So, why that is so entertaining after watching Thor is that you've got all these gods that are basically away, not paying attention to their followers. So it fits so well. It's like they're not omnipotent. They're not all knowing. They couldn't care less. They're, mm-hmm. they're not listening. And, in the case of Baal, he wasn't even a real god. He was just like something made from men's hands, and he was yeah. he was an idol. So, of course, he couldn't light his own sacrifice because he didn't exist, you know? So, and then, of course, the account goes on to say that Elijah then builds the altar back up with 12 stones, and he puts the sacrifice on it, and then he pours water over it. And he does it to the point where the, the wood is soaked, mm-hmm. and... It was interesting because in our life group, we were talking about the fact that this is, they've had a drought that's been going on forever. So they haven't had it like a drop of rain. And so he's, he's wasting water. Can you imagine what the most precious commodity would be mm-hmm. in, in an area where, I mean, it would be like the, the story of Gore at the beginning of this movie where he's through it, going through this, wasteland and then he sees people pouring water on a sacrifice until it's soaked instead of passing it out to the people who are thirsty you know it is a precious commodity he's pouring all over this and he's basically offering this water to god and god ignites it from like fire from heaven and it's such a powerful fire that it burns up not only the sacrifice in the wood but it burns up the stone Mm -hmm. and it soaks up all the water so this is it slags the entire altar yeah yeah this is powerful fire from heaven and and then all of the people bow down and worship because god proves himself once again He he does it so many times and he answers these prayers in a way that is just like blindingly obvious you know you can't even admit it that he is the true god i just thought that was a very interesting story about how god does hear us and answer prayer yeah. But the other passage that I wanted to talk about, the lengthy passage from the Old Testament, was Second Chronicles thirty two, sixteen through twenty one. And this is a another story that just came up in in something, I guess in my Bible reading. And I'm coming in in the middle of the story, so you'd have to go in and, and read further back to get the whole thing. But it 
King Sennacherib's servants said more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to mock the Lord, the God of Israel, saying against him, "Just like the national gods of the lands that did not rescue their people from my power, so Hezekiah's God will not rescue his people from my power." Then they called out loudly in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and discourage them, in order that he might capture the city. They spoke against the God of Jerusalem like they had spoken against the gods of the peoples of the earth, which were made by human hands. Hands. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, prayed about this and cried out to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated every valiant warrior, leader, and commander in the camp of the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria returned in disgrace to his land, and he went to the temple of his god. And there, some of his own children struck him down with the sword. Now. That was one of another interesting story because it's like this is King of Assyria has obviously very arrogant and very pleased with his own power, and he'd been you know battling all of these other tribes and nations about the area about Assy- around Assyria, and none of their gods were rescuing them. So he was thinking, you know, God, the Hebrew God Yahweh is like all the other gods, and he can just come and mock him, and he doesn't really exist, so he can. Destroy him just like he destroyed all of the others, and God defends His name. You know, He basically yeah. says, "You you think I'm not a real God? Let me show you." So that is one of those situations where God proves that He's not one of the other pagan gods. And one of the things that I have to say that I appreciate about this movie is that in this hall of completely useless gods, they do not represent the Christian God. He is completely left out of this movie entirely, yeah. which I actually appreciate because he is the only true God. So if you're going to make a movie about pagan gods who are completely powerless, I'm glad they left out the one God who is powerful. Yeah. And, you know, that that's the way that I had been coming to the MCU all along was that the gods of the MCU are not gods. They're not cosmic beings like we discussed before. But I keep going Mm -hmm. back to that Captain America quote from the Avengers, where he Mm -hmm. tells Black Widow, uh, Loki, I think, lands on the jet that they're flying or something like that. And she says, yeah, Loki's a Norse god. And and Captain America responds, there's only one god, ma'am. I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. And that's (laughs) that's the way I was looking at it for the MCU. God is... God, capital G, and right. Thor and Loki and, you know, all Zeus and all the others, they're God's lowercase g. Yes. But Watiti comes at this from a position of, he's quoted as saying, I don't believe in man-made religions. I don't believe in man-made gods. And I feel like if this movie had been made by a Christian – for Marvel, with this general storyline and everything like that, I feel like it could have been much better. I really do. But it seems aimless and disconnected. Yeah. Without it, without a base of faith. Yeah. Well, and and I think that that's what this movie proves is that faith without a real God to have faith in is valueless and pointless. Yeah. And it proves its own point. And you know, obviously, as an atheist, the director was proving the point that he believes and that there is no no religion in a real God, that he doesn't believe there is a God. So he's 
he's showing up the fact that man-made religions are pointless. And quite frankly, he's showing the truth. They are pointless. Mm -hmm. And that actually is a, a, a condemnation of his own worldview as well, because without a God, his life is pointless. Because atheism, because they don't believe in man-made gods, man, it, they basically put man in the place of God. And yeah. that's even worse. So they're all going to hell one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just which, which broad road they've decided to walk down. The, but, the, and, everybody and gets their reward. It's yeah. just a question of which reward. Yeah, yeah. And and that was kind of the point of my earlier yeah. conclusion from Colossians 3, you know, is that the, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he's done. They get their reward, but their reward is not what they're expecting. And that's mm-hmm. the sad thing. And the reason why Christians need to be able to think critically about the worldview that is presented by atheism and humanism in our culture today, because if you don't understand the presuppositions of a humanistic and atheistic worldview, and you don't understand how those presuppositions differ from the presuppositional faith in God, mm-hmm. where we believe God created the world, that is the ultimate presupposition. We approach everything from that worldview. It's completely different from the atheistic worldview. We are literally starting from the different grounds. We're standing on different ground. Yeah. And you have to be able to understand how those presuppositional worldviews affect the way we see the world. I just spoke circularly. But anyway, <laughs> our worldview affects how we view the world. Right. And it does. It does. By definition. <laughs> it's like using woman to define woman. Um, <laughs> what is a woman, really? I mean... <laughs> All of this to say, this movie is dealing with basically a straw, it's basically a straw man. They, they build the straw men of what gods are, and then they knock the gods off their pedestals. They yeah. put them on the pedestals and then knock them off. Yeah. And exactly. So the premise of Gore, who going back to the beginning of the movie and the establishment of this, this poor villain, and, and he really is. I mean, he's, he's extremely sad. Because he is a man who has dedicated his life to worshiping a God who doesn't care anything for him. Yeah. And he comes to the end and is faced with a God who laughs in the face of the tragedy of his life. And at the same time, he's hearing this whisper from this necrosword, which we've seen this before. It seems like, as we discussed in the Doctor Strange movie, there seems to be this underlying theme in this new stage of Marvel, where there's this destructive force that keeps whispering lies yes. and, and false promises into the villains. Yep. You're, you're not the first person to uh, have pegged that either. Shang Li <laughs> and, and uh, Multiverse of Bad- Madness both had it, you know, yeah. prominently. And now we have, and now we have the Necrosword in, in this movie, who promises... I think it promised revenge. Yeah. Because one of the things you can hear it clearly say is, you have suffered. Right. It seems to suggest that he can find satisfaction by killing all gods. Right. Somehow that that's going to make it all better. You know, that yes. he, if he kills all the gods, that, that will right the wrong somehow. And he's 
And the Necker sword isn't the only one that does that either. I mean, Mjolnir calls uh, Jane Foster with uh, this promise of great health, and she's dealing with stage four cancer. Right. But as it come, it turns out that wielding Mjolnir is actually killing her. Yeah. Draining her ability to fight the cancer. Right. And it's a false promise, too. You're right. Yeah. And it's interesting because they actually imply from a little bit of exposition that the reason why Mjolnir actually calls Jane is because Thor actually gave Mjolnir the instruction instruction to take care yeah. of Jane. So Which it's it didn't doing do, what it, it killed her. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's not a sentient thing, but it did what it could in order to meet, you know, the instruction that Thor gave it. It did what it could, basically. Yeah, it couldn't that, heal her. That was one of my problems with this movie is it made Stormbreaker. Almost sentient. <laughs> yeah, and and the Necrosword, it gave them both elements of sentience. Um, right. Stormbreaker constantly is showing jealousy and... Like if Chitty Chitty Bang Bang suddenly had a mind and started throwing the kids out of the car or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I I wanted to point out that the entire Thor movie, uh, Love and Thunder, starts out with a sort of an implied broken promise when the the blue people king, King Yakan, calls Thor the god of disaster after, (laughs) in an effort to retape the sacred temple... Thor actually he destroys, destroys it. it. Yeah. So, I mean, he Thor even says, we did it with our hearts and minds and a minimum of damage. What another classic Thor adventure. And, <laughs> you know, the, the temple crumbles behind him. It yeah. was great for a laugh, but it really was just another promise denied. Yeah. And I, I felt like that kind of tied in a lot to the Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that's how they they were tying in the Guardians of the Galaxy because whenever they help, it tends to be more hindrance than help. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Although the Guardians of the Galaxy characters, particularly Star-Lord, seem to be acting quite a bit out of character, character to me. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and you could say that that might be because they've lost Gamora. Uh, uh, You know, that's a good point. I didn't consider that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then that would change the the dynamic of the group. So. But, you know, the point is, is that the real God, capital G, (laughs) Yahweh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the three in one. He answers prayers. He hears prayers. And, you know, it, it's all, I had trouble choosing which scriptures we could use to speak to that because there are hundreds of them, hundreds of promises fulfilled, hundreds of places where it says, if you believe, he will grant. Yeah. And that's not even to mention the actual practical day-to-day prayers that he's answered for you and I and each individual believer as as we have followed him in faith. Yeah. I mean, just this week, I've been struggling with a stomach bug. Mm -hmm. Bad enough to 
keep me out of working from home. So you, you know, it's, it's pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> right. But a good friend of mine called up yesterday and said, Hey, can I pray for you? So we just prayed over the phone because, you know, mm-hmm. God, God doesn't care that we were over the phone. He cares that we were going to him. Yeah. When we needed him. And the whole book of Psalm is essentially praying to God and stories verse of his answering the prayers. And one that I particularly like is Psalm 41. I, I waited patiently for the Lord. Big emphasis for my part on patiently. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. It's, you know, God doesn't, God's time is not our time. Yeah. And another verse from First John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we have asked of him. And that one for me is always important because lots of people pray to God to, to grant stuff that is not in his will. I mean, I can pray to God six ways to Sunday to make a winning lottery ticket fly in my car window, but it ain't <laughs> going to happen if it's not his will. Right. And, you know, God answers prayer. Sometimes the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes the answer is wait. So when we ask for things, or even when we're just making intercession for other people in our lives, I mean, we have to remember that God has an ultimate plan for everything and every, mm-hmm. and he's sovereign over everything. So when we make intercession, he wants us to make intercession for people. But sometimes the answer to that isn't, I'm going to instantly fix that problem or whatever. It's, wait, I've got a plan. I've got a solution. I've got a reason for this. And yeah. so we have to be sensitive to how he answers because God isn't a genie in a bottle. He does, You don't just rub the bottle and say, God, I want this. And he grants that prayer. It's it's not a wish mm-hmm. that he's granting. It's it's a prayer that we we pray in faith, knowing that his will is sovereign over whatever the thing is that we're praying for. And so be sensitive to how he answers, whether it's a yes, a no, or a wait. Yeah. He, he's going to answer in his will and in his time. And his will is perfect. His, and you have to sovereign. be willing to accept the answer. Right. Even if it's right. one that you, you can't bear. Right. So. Okay. So before we move on to our final theme, I do want to remind you how you can connect with us. We are currently available on pretty much any place that you want to get podcasts, and we ask that you subscribe where possible and rate and review us where possible. And we're hoping uh, to become uh, even more connected with the Christian podcast community. So we do remind you to check them out and being involved with our other fellow podcasters in that community, because there are a lot of really great Christian podcasts that Mm, are more in-depth in teaching and in doctrine and apologetics than we do in this podcast. We're talking about you know, movies from a Christian worldview, they're talking about the Bible in a lot of them. So it just depends on, you know, where you are in your walk and how, mm-hmm. what you want to listen to. But there's a large variety of things to listen to in that community. 
You can join our Facebook discussion group, which you can get to by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash community, or just look for Are You Just Watching on Facebook. We have both a page and a group. We do strongly encourage that you join our Discord community. That is where Tim and I pretty much live these days. We're not on Facebook as often, but actually, I don't think Tim's on Facebook at all. I'm on there rarely. So if you really want to connect with us uh, one-on-one, we encourage you to come join our Discord community, which even if we're not live there, we have it. So if somebody comments on something there, we get instant notifications so we can jump in. And you can get the invitation to that by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash discord, and that will invite you to the server. And then just so you know, if you've never been in discord, it's not the same way as like most social medias are. You're joining a, a, a server and then there are channels that you can participate in. And in order to see all the channels, we ask that you... Uh, you'll get the rules when you first join, and then you need to go to Get Roles, which is should be a clickable link from the rules. And you have to like give yourself roles. And once you give yeah. yourself roles, then you will see the rest of the channels in the server. If you don't give yourself roles, then you you might not see everything there is to offer in in the channel itself. But we'd love to have an active community there. You know, you don't even need us there. There's there's live chat rooms mm-hmm. where you can actually get in and, and talk to other people about diff- various topics and and uh, you don't even need us there to do that. So we encourage you to come and, and be a part of our Discord community. Well, uh, our final topic is actually the conclusion of the movie. And it is quite honestly the only conclusion an atheistic version of a god slaying <laughs> can have. <Yeah. laughs> and it is unfortunately a very sad conclusion because all you need is love. I almost broke out in song. Yep, that's a that the Beatles. It's <laughs> I I am shocked that they didn't even try to buy the song for it. Yeah, yeah, that that should have been like the closing song. <laughs> yep, should have been the end credits music. Yeah, little yeah, little so- cue on point probably. <laughs> so. The conclusion of the movie is that, and as we've kind of said throughout, neither of us are huge fans of this movie. It's definitely not going to go down in, I don't even think I will ever watch it again. I mean, this is this is one of those movies that I, I will be happy to forget once we're done just talking about mm-hmm. it. And as sad as it is, though they've established this absolutely most sympathetic villain possible, you really understand why he went down the path he went down because his God basically failed him there when he needed him the most. Yeah. So they've established this very weird cosmic character called eternity. So no longer is eternity a time span that exceeds time. It is now an entity in the center of the universe who you go to and the first person who gets to him can have their wish granted. So he's basically Mm -hmm a genie who grants a single wish. Yeah. And to me, it's a massive plot hole because if you could get to the center of the universe and ask eternity for anything, then why did they need to go, you know, through universe, multi-universes to try and track down the stones to defeat Thanos? They could have just gone to eternity and wished it all back. Why why didn't Thanos just go to eternity? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, this entire character basically destroys the MCU as we know it from all the movies yeah. that came before. <laughs> and, you know, it's I've been watching videos 
talking about how this plays into the, the whole Phase 4 stuff. Yeah. And the current thought is that the big baddie of Phase 4 is actually going to be the opposite counterpart of the Eternity character, which is Entropy. Mm. So, and Entropy is the one who's whispering all these... False promises. Yeah, yeah. the false promises and everything, and, and driving the misconceptions. So, yeah. it, I think it's it's all going to sort of work out in Phase 4, but boy, they're having a hard time the getting there. Is- yeah, it's it's just poor planning and bad story development, to be honest. Yeah. It's like, I think they got to the end of the, what is it, the third phase, and they were like, they were out of ideas. And they were like, people are expecting more story. So yeah. what do we do now? We got to go bigger next time. Yeah, and they keep having to create more story where they've, they're really out of ideas. And so I think we're just seeing entropy hitting the creativity of <laughs> the producers of the MCU. So, yeah. But- where this comes to is the Gore finally makes it to eternity, and he's supposedly supposed to wish for the end of all gods. So he could just wish all of the gods out of existence. He doesn't even need to kill them anymore. And Thor convinces him that what he wants is not revenge. What he needs is love. And he's dying anyway. So in his dying breath, he wishes for his daughter to be resurrected. And because of his great love for her and that Thor is going to promise to take care of his daughter. And that's where thunder and love come from in the title. Yeah. Love and thunder. So, and I, I do want to point out that they, they sort of set up the, the change in Gore's wish by destroying the Necker sword before he Gets there. You know, goes yeah. through the gate or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. To, so he no longer eternity. has the entropy whispering to him. <laughs> right. He He's no longer infected by the voice. So I, I feel like if he still had the Necker sword when he got to eternity, he still would have wished for the death of all gods. Yeah. But uh, it, it just seems super convenient, you know, that exchange between Thor and Gore. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's that, that's accurate. <laughs> I never said it like that before. Yeah, Thor and Gore. <laughs> it's not death or revenge that you seek, Thor says, and Gore responds, what do I seek? You seek love. Gore says, love? Why would I seek love? And then Thor says, because that's what any of us seek, which yeah. is just so <laughs> simplistic. Yeah, and... And it's interesting because it comes out of this whole mini theme that's going through the whole movie of Thor and Jane's lost romance. Because Thor has, you know, romanced lots of women, but his only love was Jane. And Jane, you know, basically left him and he left her. I think it was a line in the movie that says, we both left and we both got left. Their relationship fell apart. And then Thor closed off his heart because he didn't want to be hurt anymore. And so he's grown. I mean, if you want to say that in quotation marks, because uh, yeah. it's, big it, air it's quotes. not, yeah, big air quotes. He's grown to see that he needs love. And so it's his character development in the movie is that he's not going to wall himself off from pain anymore. Because as Star-Lord said at the beginning of the movie, you know, it's better to, to have that nasty feeling of being lost and, and lonely than it is to feel empty. And I'm like, okay, 
their definition of love, though, is just, oh, I feel good. Yeah. I feel content. I'm happy because somebody is edifying about me. my feelings, yeah. you know. But yeah. that's that's not that's not what love actually is. Yeah, and I think our society has really lost what the definition of love is. They don't understand anymore, and that and it, it's really painful for a Christian because we do understand the definition of love, and and even the the definitions definitions plural of love because in Greek there's actually what three four words that mean yeah. love, and they're yep. they're different kinds of love. In our society, we don't even differentiate between friendly love and, you know, sexual love. And, you know, there, there's just love is just this like generic term that we apply to meaning that I am happy and that I'm being affirmed in who I am. And that that is how I classify that the world loves me because they're affirming me and who I am. And we even dealt with it a little bit in Maverick, you know, where he was talking about who he was and his identity and all of this. It's like, yeah, our society is really hung up on being stuck where you are. It's like, this is who I am. And you must affirm me for who I am, regardless of whether it's a, a fantasy, a reality, biological mm-hmm. truth, or whim. You have to affirm me. And that's how you show your love is by affirming me in what I think of myself. And if you don't affirm me, you hate me. You hate me. Yes. And it's such a perversion of what love really is. I mean, yeah. even if you leave God out of it, which we don't want to because we're, we're Christians and we, our worldview is God. So we, we define love by defining God because God is love. Mm-hmm. But even if you were to leave God out of it, affirming people in self-destructive behavior is not love. Period. Even if you lift God out of it, it's like telling an alcoholic he can drink whatever he wants or a drug addict that just give him drugs because he's a drug addict and you're going to affirm his addiction. That is not love. And I don't know how our society has gotten to this standpoint where they don't even understand that affirming self-destructive behaviors is good. Yeah. (laughs) It's desirable. And it's happened in churches, too. I mean, we have yeah. entire churches out there that are just red-letter Christians. All they do is they take the specific words of Christ as recorded in the Gospels, and that is their only Bible. Mm-hmm. They throw away the Old Testament because that's that's the old God. That's the pre-Jesus God. Mm. And they're, like, all about love, but they— they are literally blinding themselves to the entirety of God. God has so many attributes, and love is just one of them. He is the mm-hmm. ultimate expression of love, but he is not only love. God is love, but God is also justice. God is right. righteousness. God is right. holiness. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the issue with that is, you know, from an atheistic conclusion, which is what this movie is, it's like, all you need is this amorphous self-worth thing called love, but they don't have anything to base that on. And it's so sad because this is his conclusion. They still die in the end. All of, I mean, Jane has stage four cancer. She has nobody to pray to who can actually heal her, who can give her. And even though she ends up in Valhalla at the end, that's 
you know, I don't know exactly even what that means from their yeah. standpoint. But Thor doesn't heal her. What kind of a god is he? When there are absolutely no gods capable of healing. I mean, it's like there's no healing. There's no eternal reward. There's no, you know, return on the promises of eternity or, or anything. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, now that you mention it in the very first Thor movie, Thor explained that it's that it's not magic that he does, just science. Mm-hmm. And then in the second Thor movie, Dark World, they bring her to Asgard for medical treatment. Right. And it's all science there. So yeah. And his mother dies too. Thor's mother dies of But they sort of throw all this away. Yeah. I mean, I just, I feel like there's, well, like I said before, it's, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy. This movie is basically, he sets up the false gods to prove their faults, but he doesn't prove anything by proving their faults because as an atheist, you have no God, but you also are setting yourself up as a God because when there is no God, then who holds you accountable for good, for bad? Where's the justice? There is none. Mm-hmm. So he, I keep going back to that song that says the fool said in his heart, there is no God. There's yeah. nothing more foolish in the world than denying the existence of God. But people do yeah. it all the time. People now, do it. it is important to stress that those who have not had their eyes open cannot see God. Right. Yeah. So, and we, we Christians can never know when God is going to open somebody's eyes. So we we are required to treat all unbelievers as... Potential believers. <laughs> yeah, pre-Christians. <laughs> yeah, pre-Christians. Yeah. And we're required to treat people who profess Christ as Christians. But that's not necessarily a good thing. That means we're, we hold them accountable to the higher standard. Right. And we, and we show we them true love. Them. We show them true love. Yeah, I saw something in Facebook the other day where it was a religious discussion, a Christian discussion somewhere. I can't even remember what the original topic was. But some guy came in and said, you obviously don't believe in the real Jesus because the real Jesus would have embraced the LGBT community and shown them love. I was like, yes, that's true. He would have invited the sinners into repentance and shown them the correct way. Love is not just accepting the LGBT community for who they are. Love, true Christian love, godly love, is to point out that they need repentance, to introduce them to their sin and show them the path to repentance. Because that's the only way you can, as Christians, show true love. It's like turning somebody away from that cliff that they're heading towards. Yeah. So we do want to get some scripture in here. We're speaking in generalities. Yeah. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the ultimate love. That was, he knew we were doomed and he gave us a way out through love. And Psalm eighty nine fourteen says, righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. And, you know, that just speaks to how love is not the end all that the movie seems to suggest it is. Right. All right. Well, I think we've pretty much beat that dead horse to... Or goat, preferably. Or cord. <laughs> yes, yeah, the screaming goats. I oh, completely man. forgot about them. <laughs> that mean just was like nails on the chalkboard before, and the fact that they included <laughs> it in the movie. 
that you know that might have been why I disliked this movie so much because I was subjected to that for it felt like thirty solid minutes screaming goats. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah, I think you pointed out in your notes, it's like they had to get the ship together, and then they had to like strap the sword to it and have the goats pull it, and then at the end of the movie, they're suddenly you know about being around without any of that and still managing to travel about with no problems. So mm-hmm. It's like, what was the whole purpose of that? There, if we got started naming all of the holes in this movie, we would uh, go on for another hour. So yeah. <laughs> Well, I think we are going to sign off of Marvel for a while. I think we, you and I have both kind of hit our limit. And yeah. I think probably what we'll be doing in August is something – we're looking at a couple different options, and we're probably based which one we do it uh, based on how easy it is to get to see one of them. But they're going to yeah. be more true life stories, I think. Yep. The next Marvel series on Disney Plus is She-Hulk – and the next Marvel movie, I think, is Wakanda Forever. Hmm. You know, I'm still going to see him. I, I, I am, but <laughs> I another still don't have another Disney couple Plus. movies like this one, and and I think I might just say that's the end of the MCU for me. Yeah, yeah, I am a little interested about this. Was it Black Adam from DC? Yeah, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, that actually, I mean, if they manage to hold the story together, yeah. That might actually be interesting to watch, but I enjoy his humor. He's got good comic timing and everything, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, we'll see. It, it, I, I'll probably yeah. see it too. Yeah. Now, a lot of these movies I may not necessarily see in the theater. I might wait for later, but I don't have Disney Plus, so waiting sometimes is not the best idea. At least yeah. for the Disney stuff. Well, Black Adam won't be on Disney. It'll be on. Yeah, it's DC. Yeah. A HBO, I think, is where Disney lands eventually. DC, you mean, for DC Lands. DC, yeah. You said Disney. Disney, Disney Lands. <laughs> Protean slug. Yeah. Alrighty, well, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you again in August. Thanks. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.